Loading Brian Sovereign 4.0. Private Agent, Mnemonic Courier. Verifying that all software is DAPS compatible. Programs ready. Loading. Anarchism kernel. Loading. Tech news feeds. Loading. Secret history libraries. Loading. Hedonism theme. Loading. Cryptographic processes. Loading. Science software. Loading. Rationality and self-knowledge systems. Loading. Unimatrix Zero. Loading. Non-killing protocol. Loading. Open source sexuality subroutines. Loading. Triple Black API. Loading. Golden Stallion.RPM. Now ready for Sovereign Jack. It's life, baby. <laughs> Woo! It is time for some sovereign tech. Let's do it. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, ready to make it happen. And I love releasing the magic here, baby. <laughs> oh, what a great episode last week. Thank you all so much. A lot of people really had a, a lot of kind words uh, to say. Uh, that means a lot to me, as always. Uh, Woo! <laughs> I, I have, you know, I, I got to tell you, I have had a crazy podcast recording schedule, and I don't just mean for Sovereign Tech. Uh, Sex and Science Hour, uh, I mean, and, and Conspirathon, I've been on that for, boy, we, we've done hours and hours and hours of that, and it's been a real honor to be on Brett Vinacho, a man that I just really, I can't tell you how much I appreciate. Uh, and, and School Sucks Project, boy, if you've never checked that out, you need to be checking that out. But anyway, just been having a great time, but man, the, the, <laughs> it just never stops. And uh, I might even have a secret project uh, that, that'll get released soon that, I, well, anyway, that's the only thing I'll mention of it. But <laughs> uh, I love doing this show. So, why don't we break into it? Uh, 
the, the, for the random access, I'm going to try and tighten this up because I've been, well, we're almost to episode 175. Uh, and there, I, I notice sometimes the random access can even take up like half the show. <laughs> so I, I really want to, you know, it's important to get those little tech news uh, bits out. You can let me know actually if how much you like the random access. I would like to hear from you on that. Of course, go to contact.zog.ninja and there's all the ways to get in touch with me. Um, you know, I just, you know, do you like the larger stories more? Do you like the little stories? I mean, I do this show for me, but you know, I'm, I'm always intrigued to hear, to hear insights and, and thoughts, uh, from the, the sovereignty from, uh, from the listeners of the show. And, uh, of course I appreciate everybody that listens to this show every week. We are like our sovereign tax numbers are going through the roof. Like it, it's crazy. And I don't know what exactly made it pop. Uh, in the past few months, you know, or should I say the past year, but it's popped <laughs> it, or it's popping and I, I boy, I, I love it. So uh, thank you so to, so much to all the listeners. And of course, thanks so much to all the great sponsors that now Sovereign Tech is taking on uh, and just just wonderful. So, all right. Let's get into, because I got a great main story that you might not instantly think is necessarily related to tech and science, but I think it's actually very much related. Uh, and then, of course, I'll explain why. Uh, but let's get into the random access. Uh, this is interesting. Now, for years, um, I have kept a close eye on Amazon. Of course, I call it the Amazon World Domination Tour because people don't realize or well, now they're starting to realize, but for, you know, in years previous, people weren't realizing, Hey, wait a second. Amazon's like a, they're a real tech giant. And in fact, they're, they're making motions. They're doing things. They're seeing success in areas that no other tech company is. And they, you know, they, I mean, they've done a bunch of things. I, I could, it would take me forever to break it all down. If you want to, you can go to zog.ninja, just type in Amazon, uh, and you can, I, I've written up a bunch of different stories about what exactly Amazon's plans are. And I think they're accurate. Uh, like I've said, with their, with their tablet business and all this, uh, I think that they are going after, they are doing the opposite of Apple. You know, Apple goes for the premium market. Amazon is doing the dead opposite. They are going after the, I mean, just the poorest of the poor. Uh, and that is a much larger uh, consumer base. And I hate to even call people, you know, call poor people a consumer base. I really empathize for them, but, uh, there it is, you know, that that's what they're reaching out to with $50 tablets and all of this. And they're just getting people hooked into their ecosystem, you know, and, and speaking of, I mean, and that's just one example. I, I have tons. <laughs> okay. I've been covering this for years. Um, but this week there was a story that really starts to highlight, you know, because it's a company, Amazon wasn't really showing, uh, you know, they weren't showing in the black on their, uh, you know, as far as profitability overall, uh, up until maybe last quarter or quarter before they finally started showing some actual earnings. And, you know, a lot of people have been like, how can they do this? And, and I've, I've said to people and they think it breaks all the economic rules. And I understand that largely it may seem that it does. Okay. But it, it was all kind of a, you know, a temporary thing. But, but my, what I had said was, is that they are selling things so beneath cost just to get people hooked in. But eventually what they'll do is, is that once they get people hooked in, they'll start raising the prices or they'll start doing, you know, they'll have very exclusive content that you'll have to pay some kind of subscription fee for. And 
Here it is coming to reality. Now, for the first time in the past couple weeks, Amazon is starting to sell things. And it's not just Amazon products. Okay, they might be like Amazon started this. I don't know if you ever seen if you've ever seen Shark Tank, but like there's various companies on there, at least one that I can think of that does like surfboards or something like that, that has become uh, like an Amazon, not an exclusive partner, but they, you know, it, it, they're giving a high, they're given a higher ranking. Uh, through Amazon and they are they are made like you know they're a company that is put on the front page and all of this and so there's these special partnerships that you can get with Amazon bottom line as a company and these what you know the reality of what some of these special partnerships are I think are, is coming to fruition because what has been announced is that Amazon is cer- selling certain items again not Amazon built items certain items online on their website that you can only get if you have a Prime membership. There's the rub. There's the hook. This is how you can get stuff sold so low and all this. Get people into your ecosystem, which Amazon has, has really done. I mean, they're, you know, I know Google's trying to get into the whole shopping deal. Uber, I think, is getting into the whole. Uber knows that they need, if they want to grow, they don't need to look at Google. They don't need to look at Apple. They don't need to look at Microsoft. They need to look at, at Amazon as their competition. And they're right. In doing that, not that I like Uber, we talked about that last week, okay, but I'm just, and I don't really like Amazon either. I'm just, you know, just laying that out there, and those are my personal opinions. Um, but Amazon, yeah, this Prime only thing, this is how you hook up, because now what you have to do to even be able to get some things on Amazon, and obviously they're just kind of test piloting this right now, okay, you got you to test the waters, right? You are going to have to have a Prime account to do this. And I mean, once you're paying $150 a year or whatever, and once you get enough people paying $150 a year, uh, I mean, you know, Amazon is going to be making a shit ton of money. You know, their balance sheets are going to look great because, you know, they've got people hooked. Doesn't matter what they're selling the stuff for. And like I've said, Amazon is becoming a monopsony, not a monopoly, a monopsony. They are becoming the sole distributor, not the sole producer. That's, that's what a monopoly is. They're becoming the sole distributor. And in so doing, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're getting people hooked. In, and I mean, this is this is really something to think about. You know, there's a great book out there called The Circle by David. Well, now I can't think of his name. Boy, check that out <laughs> if you ever want to, you know, get a look. Uh, it's a newer novel fiction, science fiction. We'll, we'll talk about science fiction later. Uh, yeah, that I, I think is kind of interesting. Anyway, so that's happening, folks. <laughs> As predicted, that is happening, that that Amazon is really like, you know, is making the Amazon Prime membership uh, almost, a requ- you know, or they're starting to to delve into making it a requirement to get that full experience that you want uh, with with some very exclusive stuff. So anyway, uh, let's shift gears with some good news here. I, I did a write-up about this at the Dark Android blog, darkandroid.info, and I think this is really cool. Now, I've talked about how I think that the watch, even though I guess Google this week did a patent filing for something that you inject into your eye, uh, no thanks, Google. <laughs> when when you're, when you're supposed, uh, well, not supposed, when your entire financial base, your entire, entire cash flow base is based around advertising, sorry, I'm not injecting anything uh, of yours into me. Uh, but <laughs> that's all I need is to just walk around and just see constant advertisements. And I know people are like, oh, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, well, I wonder. Uh, but anyway, so I've said before that I don't even think that the cell phone is really going to be the future, um, the future platform of communications. I think it's going to end up being the watch. 
and, you know, speaking of advertising, I think this is one of the cases kind of against that actually happening is that how exactly do you get advertisements of any meaningful manner, you know, on, onto onto a small, you know, two inch or smaller screen? That's a genuine, that's a, that, that's a good question that I don't necessarily have a, you know, a quick and easy response for. I mean, yeah, you can just make stuff pop up, of course. Um, but I, like I said, I think the watch is going to become the, you know, really the, the future, uh, platform, uh, for, you know, for communications. It's just going to be, you know, Dick Tracy will just be proven right. So many things that were done, you know, a hundred years ago or so are just going to end up, you know, finally coming to fruition. Uh, you know, these ab, I mean, granted back in the day, there were abstract technologies. It's not like, I mean, nobody thought of Wi-Fi until Hedy Lamar in 1940s. Uh, yes, there was a woman. Um, but you know, <laughs> I think that's, that's how it's going to be. Uh, but my concern with that is that I don't really want the watch, the smart watch space, as it were, uh, to be dominated by only two people to be dominated by Google and to be dominated by Apple, of course. And a lot of people now I, I've seen a lot of write-ups where the, uh, the, the Apple watch people are finally coming out and saying this thing's worthless you know maybe in a couple generations it'll be something but right now uh it's just not there so i don't want you know i don't want that uh, i i'd like there to be a good open source third-party alternative kind of a cyanogen mod perhaps for smart watches uh or an aosp for smart watches that sort of thing and uh, that has finally seemed to, to, to have happened. Uh, Asteroid OS as an asteroid, you know, as in the, 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 like the game asteroids, there was actually a song for that game back in the, back in the eighties. Uh, and it's, it's called Asteroid OS, like I said, and this is cool. It's actually, it's a full on Linux distro that you can put onto a smartwatch and it can work on a lot of different Android wear, uh, uh, devices. And I think this is great. I mean, there's so many things that like Ubuntu in particular has developed that that operates as, you know, phone functions and all of this into like Ubuntu phone and all that that could probably be easily ported uh, onto a full on Linux distro like Asteroid OS. Uh, also, you have the advantage of, I mean, every, you know, Android in and, in and of itself right now uh, is, you know, is Linux is effectively Linux. And so you could port uh, or if anything, you could just put like F-Droid, F-Droid.org. That's the open source uh, app repository for Android. You know, you could put that onto the watch and then you could just use things. And I know, you know, people, I, I have to keep repeating this. People keep thinking, it's like, well, how am I going to text on a watch? How am I going to do this and this on the on a watch? Uh, there have been great keyboards made for the watch, you know, made for smartwatches that do the job and allow you to, you know, really, you know, get a lot of information out. And the other thing I think that'll happen is, is that people will do kind of what I did uh, back in, uh, well, I guess the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, like I had a, you know, Ninja Gaiden watch or a Batman watch from Tiger Electronics that had a game on it. And you didn't play the game on your wrist. You just kind of, you real quick, you took off the, um, you know, you took off your watch and you just, then you played the game a bit. You press the buttons and do all that. Uh, so I, I think that's something that could, that could really happen. Uh, so I see the, you know, bright future for the smartwatch. Uh, and Asteroid OS actually makes it a lot more exciting to me. Uh, I really hope that this goes far uh, because, yeah, I mean, to have Linux on your watch, who the fuck wouldn't want that? And put a little USB-C port on there and then I could and through that I could connect it to a hub and connect it to, you know, with Bluetooth, I could connect it to a keyboard, uh, you know, uh, monitor and, and, and mouse. Oh, please. You mean I could take off my wristwatch and I could have a computer? 
or I could just plug a USB-C port and go to town. I mean, or, you know, USB-C cord while it's still on my wrist and go nuts. Fuck yeah. <laughs> or you don't even need the cord. I mean, you know, now you can, you can wirelessly, tr- you know, transmit a lot of the stuff. Uh, oh man, what, what a world, <laughs> you know, that we're going to head into, uh, if all of that comes to fruition, but we need these open source third parties in my opinion. And so uh, I'm glad that Asteroid OS is way ahead of the game, uh, as far, and they already have versions you can download. They already have beta versions you can download. So they're on, they're on the ball and good for them. But you know, speaking of Android, uh, this was some other interesting news. I also wrote about it, the dark Android blog, uh, but I'll give you a, a, you know, the cliff notes here, but if you want to read the full stories, please do go to darkandroid.info or go to zog.ninja. It's all the same website. Just go there and, and you can read all about it. Okay. And I have, I, I post content every single day. There's so many stories there to read with so many insights that you don't get on this show. Uh, I, I really recommend checking that out. Uh, but anyway, so there was in, in Chrome OS, which I used to be a big Chromebook fan. There's still an argument to be made for Chromebooks, especially like with guest mode. These are very secure devices. I'm not saying they're private, but once, you know, if you're using it in guest mode, that privacy, you know, the anti kind of ups. And so I, I really, I, you know, the Chromebook, especially Chromebook in the abstract, the abstract idea of a Chromebook, not, not necessarily Google being in charge of it, uh, I think is, is a wonderful idea. Now I like local, you know, I like local storage. I like localized, you know, uh, uh, software and apps and all this stuff. Uh, but at the same time I can see, you know, I can see the argument for thin clients at times. There's, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, necessarily, uh, especially, you know, if we get like a fully, you know, distributed peer to peer internet, I think that thin clients could, could take on a whole new meaning. And I get, I get really excited about that concept. Uh, you think about made safe for zero net, things like this. But anyway, Chrome OS, uh, there in version 41 or 51, there were in the code, there were some hints at the Play Store, as in the Google Play Store that you know and love on it, or well, I hope you don't love, but that you know of <laughs> on Android getting injected and put into Chrome OS. Now, this isn't necessarily anything new. There's some odd 40 apps that I think you can run on Chrome OS uh, that uh, that are Android apps. Like there's a Cloud Magic, right? The email client. Um, and there's some others that, that you can run there. But now, I mean, if they're putting the Play Store, just, just going to, you know, writ large, put the, put, the, put the Play Store on there. That means that they could, you know, you could run any app. Now, somebody had already did that where I think, and it wasn't even on Chrome OS. You could do that. There was a developer that made it, he released something that made it possible on any machine running Chrome. You know, it could be running Mac OS, which by the way, it's not called OS 10 anymore. Now it's officially called Mac OS. So there you go. Now you're in the cool club. Uh, <laughs> uh, but whether you're running Mac OS, Ubuntu, you know, or, or Windows, whatever, if you have Chrome on it, you could run any Android app within it. It was a little bit of a, a quirky setup, but, uh, but it was, it was cool. And so now though, it appears that in the near future, and we're coming up on Google IO, uh, you know, that that's happening fast. Um, you can put, uh, you, you know, you will be able to put pretty much any Android app onto a Chromebook. Uh, that makes Chromebooks very enticing. I, I have to admit, you know, the ability, I'm sure somebody will crack it to where you could run it on any machine again. Um, but this is really interesting. I'm curious how this is all going to play out, how all this is going to work. Will it be every app or will it just be some exclusive apps again? Maybe. But this gets to speaking of something I wrote up uh, at the Dark Android blog. Uh, you know, I want an Android desktop. I mean, we've talked about Remix OS. That, that's, that's the reality of that. Uh, and, and some others. 
you know, I want that to be because it's so easy to set up really great encrypted apps on Android that I would love it. I mean, you know, we talk about wanting to get, you know, people that aren't so perhaps tech savvy into using encryption as the norm. Well, I'll tell you, having Android apps on a desktop is one way to really make that happen. In my opinion, you know, if you can get signal on there and I don't mean the Chrome extension because that's a little wonky. I've, I've had issues with that, uh, especially lately. Uh, but you know, just having all these different, I mean, even running Orbot, you know, for Tor, uh, and having Orbot, I mean, Orbot's so simple to set up. If that could run system wide to where you'd have Tor, oh, fuck yes. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, so I really want that to happen. Um, but on the flip side, this might be leaning more towards something I've written up, which is Google o written up about, which is Google OS, which Wall Street Journal broke that later in 2015 they broke the story about that that there was the idea of merging chrome os and android and this is definitely looking more towards that direction to where that that might be you know a thing uh and with the nexus 9 getting canceled uh, last week that's that's a whole other story i'll cover that another time uh the, the you know this is something to something to think about <laughs> that that android as we know it uh, the open source aspects of Android and all of that might go the way of the dodo. Uh, I, I think that that may become a reality and that, you know, Google's just going to push, 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 push this, you know, Chrome OS, you know, this Google OS, Chrome OS and Android hybrid uh, that's going to be out there. And if you want to use the latest apps, you're going to need to have that. And that's, you know, this is what people miss. The operating system really doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And this is true even for, for Apple. You know, a lot of people are saying iOS is getting long in the tooth, uh, you know, in, especially in comparison to, to Android. I'm not saying one's necessarily better than the other for whatever reason, but, uh, you know, if Apple came out with a new, I don't, I don't know what they would call it. If they came out with phone OS, let's say, uh, tomorrow, as long as the app store was there, nobody's going to give a shit. Because all people need are the apps. They really don't care about, you know, the overall operating system. They just want access to that apps. It's apps, 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 apps. If people cared about just like how slick, how well designed the operating system is, everybody would be using Windows 10 mobile or, you know, Windows phone in, the, in general. And I'm not saying that because I love Microsoft. I don't. I'm just saying that that was a really slick operating system especially uh, windows eight on, on, you know, on mobile was holy shit. Um, so if Google suddenly said, well, we're not actually going to be pushing Android anymore. We're going to be pushing, uh, you know, uh, Google, you know, Chrome OS slash Android, which will be Google OS. And it'll be this all new thing. As long as the play store follows along, people will upgrade to that. People will start using that. All people care about are the apps. The OS does not matter that that's it. Why is Windows still the, you know, the most used operating system out there? Photoshop, Office, games. You know, that's changing. <laughs> and in fact, I wouldn't be shocked if there's an office for Linux at some point. Uh, and Photoshop is going to being a cloud service and almost entirely. Okay. But and the games are certainly coming to Linux. But that's why, you know, it's all about the apps. It's not about the operating system. People really don't give a shit about the operating system. So important to keep that in mind. Uh, all right. Last story in the random access. Let's move on. Uh, so, yeah, you know, Google OS coming to uh, to a phone near you, perhaps, and a tablet and, uh, and a Chromebook and who knows what else. 
Uh, this was this was interesting. Just just a little bit of space news. We talked uh, some space stuff last week and how I said that I don't think, you know, humans are ever going to really leave the solar system. And that's OK. There is so much exploration. There is so much freedom to be had, uh, you know, and so much advancement to be had just by inhabiting our solar system. You know, I, I love the idea of, of dreaming really big. In fact, well, I'll save that for later. Never mind. Uh, but I love the I just I love dreaming really big. I love thinking about a really bright future, a really exciting future. OK, but to have everything in my wildest dreams, there is no need to leave the solar system. And believe me, I have some wild fucking dreams. <laughs> I mean, they, ooh. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, it's not it's not necessary. Um, but anyway, it's exciting that I'll admit, and I don't, I don't trust Elon Musk. Um, he is a, a, a tax. I don't want to say tax whore. That's a little crass, uh, but he is definitely, uh, you know, a tax, uh, a gulper. He, he takes your tax dollars. Um, you know, your tax dollars are funding 90% of what he does. And I don't think that's okay. Uh, but it's interesting that he is, uh, he, he is claiming now that by 2018, that's just a couple of years away that he will be at least launching uh, a red dragon that's that uh, from SpaceX. And this will be unmanned, but that's the vessel, the red dragon uh, via a well Falcon heavy rocket, which is I'm guessing an improved version of the Falcon nine, which is what they use right now. And it will be landing on Mars. Now all tax stuff aside, that's really cool. That finally, some degree, I mean, how much is, is anything Elon Musk's private industry since it's so tax, uh, tax funded? Um, that's, that's debatable. <laughs> okay. Uh, but that's still, I'll admit it. It's pretty awesome. You know, if something actually lands on Mars, even though it's unmanned in 2018, and then I guess the, you know, the human mission, I think he was saying by 2020, he wanted humans on there. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but anyway, that, you know, there it is. There, there's a, there's a development. Um, I do believe, I don't see any reason why an unmanned mission wouldn't get there. I still am curious whether or not a privately quote unquote, uh, manned mission will ever go, uh, because they kind of, it, it's a little strange. There was, so you have the Van Allen belts and a lot of people, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists that say, this is the reason we've never gone to, gone to the moon because you're going to have to deal with these Van Allen belts, which are these radiation belts, uh, you know, around the earth. And <laughs> a few years ago, we talked about this on sovereign tech years ago, suddenly, you know, NASA came out and said, Oh, you know what? And and it was at a time when a fever pitch of a lot of this going to Mars, humans going to Mars news, like there's going to be that reality show and all the shit going to Mars, uh, you know, was was at a, at a fever pitch. And suddenly NASA came out and said, ah, yeah, there's this third Van Allen belt. Look, you just you know, I don't think we we can't be sending humans to Mars right now. Like it was just so odd that that we've known about the two Van Allen belts for decades. But then just out of nowhere, once people start talking about going to Mars, they say there's a third one. Like out of the blue. And then they said, yeah, this third one. Well, you know, it actually kind of comes and goes. Uh, so you really can't tell. And I'm like, wow, this is like the ultimate thing for. And I don't mean to get conspiratorial myself, but this is like the ultimate thing for the government to be able to say, no, you can't go into space. Sorry. There's this third Van Allen belt. It's going to kill you. And I think recently they said that 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 Van Allen belt has completely disappeared. But their previous narrative is, is that it can just come and go. So maybe if when a, you know, a man mission is ready to go to Mars, uh, the, the government will just say, oh, yeah, that third Van Allen belt, we just detected it, son of a bitch. 
Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I could see that happening. So anyway, best of luck to Red Dragon getting there. Um, I will be watching that and we will be covering it on Sovereign Tech with uh, with great interest. All right, let's uh, let's get into our main story, uh, because we got a got a doozy here, in my opinion. Uh, and I'm actually going to read I'm going to read the story. And then I am going to read uh, some comments from because who brought this to my attention? Not that I'm friends with him or anything. Uh, was da- is David Brin, and David Brin is, you know, despite the fact that he's not an anarchist, he is a brilliant guy. I mean, like just just an insanely knowledgeable guy. He is, you know, somewhat of a libertarian, as I understand it. Um, I have friends that that have had interactions with him at liberty events. Um, but just, you know, really just a brilliant guy. I don't agree with him on everything. Uh, I love his book. The Uplift series was a cru- crucial series of novels uh, to, you know, to my my personal development, in my opinion, uh, at least, you know, my, my I guess my ethical development. Uh, the Postman. I really enjoy. Actually, I like the movie, too. Uh, the book was great. Um, he, he's written just just tons of awesome stuff. Earth, all kinds of I mean, and, and he's, you know. I like to say that I, that I can be fairly predictive of what's to come. Uh, you know, that's where the man of part of where the man of tomorrow comes from <laughs> is that, you know, I, I report six months previous, six months to a year previous, what the rest of the tech shows on the planet uh, will talk about. And I, largely I hold that as true. But David Brin predicts stuff like on a decades level, like I, I'll give him all the credit for that. I mean, he's he is really, really good um, at at doing that. So he brought this to my attention and it's it's about competence porn. Now, what exactly is competence porn? And I'm I'm going to read I want to read the story here and then I want to read like his kind of reaction and then I want to give you my uh my reaction. And this has to do with science fiction in particular. And the story is coming from IO9 and it's an older one. It's from 2013. Uh the moment when science fiction split off from competence porn uh by Charlie Jane Anders. And and like I said, well, here, we'll just we'll read it. This is about science fiction, but you're going to see how, the importance of this and where, how this all fits into a lot of you know what we talk about on Sovereign Tech. Science fiction used to be almost synonymous with competence porn stories about smart people who solve challenges by knowing what they're doing. But lately, when it comes to movies and TV, it seems like Americans love competence porn and they love science fiction. They just don't love them together. What happened? Consider science fiction TV shows and movies used to feature heroic scientists, uh, uh, scientist characters pretty often. We had heroic inventors, scientific explorers, sympathetic scientists supporting characters who would explain to the main hero what was going on. Heroes included Reed Richards, of course, of the Fantastic Four, one of my favorite comic book characters, uh, but also second leads like Hans Zarkoff. Of course, Stanley breaking in Hans Zarkoff is from Flash Gordon. Uh, another character that I really enjoy. And I, I, I keep a, a large collection of the original serials from the 1930s personally, because I, I enjoy that so much. Uh, anyway, <laughs> reading on. Uh, but at some point, including scientists as heroes, became a bit of a taboo in science fiction, with the notable exception of Walter Bishop in Fringe, uh, and in the UK, Doctor Who is a holdout. Uh, we're only allowed to explore new science or strange ideas if our hero is in a quote-unquote everyman who has no clue what's going on. Case in point, when ABC turned Robert J. Sawyer's novel Flash Forward into a TV series, the heroes were changed from a team of physicists to a group of of FBI agents. Now, Stallion breaking in, I want to just comment on that really quickly. Uh, 
there is like most of the popular shows, most of the competence porn out there. And this article might describe that just a touch does come down to modern day shows. And it usually has to deal with some form of law enforcement or some government agency, which is ironic because these are people, obviously, when you consider that James fucking Comey, the director of the FBI was so competent. He didn't know to put a sticker over his fucking, you know, laptop webcam. Oh yeah. Competence. Right. In real life. Um, I'll, I'll admit to you. And I, and I've said this actually, I mentioned conspirathon earlier. I talked about it in certain parts of conspirathon on, on school sucks podcasts with Brett and, uh, Brett Vinat and of course the lovely and hyperintelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. I had said, I was like, look, the government, and we talked, we covered this on sovereign tech. If you remember, the government, we know now, due to document leaks, that the government is in largely in control, or at least has some pretty pretty good puppet strings, over Hollywood, you know, over the, the entertainment industry. Uh, because what they do is, is that if you are not willing, what they will give you access to government buildings, government equipment, military equipment, all of this, and they'll even give you advisors, you know, to make things seem a little more realistic and all that. If you, you know, if you play ball with them and make sure that, you know, whatever the cops, the FBI, the military looks good in it and you'll get quite a deal. You'll be able to do a lot more with your budget, with your show TV show budget or with your movie budget. If you play ball with the government, if you decide to make the military look bad or if you decide to make perhaps the FBI or CIA or NSA or whatever look bad, you do not get those, you know, those, those great deals. So what, what I think, you know, I, in a very real sense, I mean, you know, budgets, everything in the entertainment industry, especially in Hollywood budget is, you know, is, is the great, uh, I don't want to say the great equalizer, uh, but it, it's the final arbiter. I mean, it, it, it's going to tell you what get what gets done and what doesn't. Um, and so I think that there is a concerted effort by the government. You know, they do have control over the entertainment industry in a very real sense. They don't have to. People can still say, no, I don't want your money. But then your movie is going to cost movie or TV show is going to cost three, four or five times as much. All right. Um, but I think that they're, they, they have a control and they want to make they want to make you think. That somehow, yeah, the FBI figures shit out. CSI, you know, the police, they figure shit out. NCIS, they figure shit out in all of this. Um, so I'm not surprised that, you know, scientists were plucked out of, say, a show like Flash Forward. And they said, OK, no, it just needs to be all FBI agents and all of this. You know, you think of shows like Bones and all that. All the times that competence porn is shown off. It's always somebody, you know, that's working for the government in some form or fashion, be it the police or whatever. And, that, you know, that that's that's really an issue. I mean, like, I, I think that's that's horrendous, because when you look at the reality of the situation, the people largely in these organizations are not competent at all. They're the farthest from. Private industry is way ahead. And it's interesting, you know, to compare it. And I've, I have more on this. So don't worry, we're going to get into it. But uh, this is an interesting side tangent. I mean, <laughs> you know, in the 80s, you had MacGyver, A-Team, Airwolf, Knight Rider. You had, all, uh, you had all these different shows. All of them were private. You know, it was all competence porn to some degree. Well, I mean, the A-Team couldn't shoot the broadside of a barn. But you had competence porn, especially with MacGyver. Holy shit. The ultimate incompetence porn. But he worked for, he were, you know, he worked for the Phoenix Foundation. 
He worked for completely private industries. It was all private industries back in the 80s, uh, which is interesting. Nobody was working for the FBI. In fact, there was a lot of, you know, uh, you know, like a police corruption. And a lot of these were major parts, especially like with the A-team and all that. These were I mean, the A-team was was literally anti-government. It was in the titles of the show, <laughs> you know, up until season five anyway. Uh, or Airwolf, where, you know, they said, you know, where Stringfellow Hawk with the, the helicopter uh, said, hey, um, you know, I can't let the government have this, you know, this uh, this technology. You guys are going to fuck things up. There's this mass distrust of the government in incompetence porn and in action shows and, uh, you know, and all of that. And, and you know, get get the bad guy shows back in the 80s. Interesting how that's changed so much. Uh, and and I, I think. Absolutely. The government, I don't think it's predictive programming necessarily, but I do think that, uh, that the government to some degree is behind this. And I think they're, they're pulling the purse strings to make sure that it is that way, uh, because it doesn't make any sense. Isn't it a lot cooler to have physicists doing shit as compared to the FBI? Come on. Anyway, let's read on with the story. Nothing exposes the shift from competence porn to, quote, heroes out of their depth, end quote, as sharply as a comparison of Ridley Scott's Prometheus to the original Alien. Uh, in Alien, Ripley doesn't survive because she's a nice person. She survives because she's the one person who is good at her job and keeps reminding the others about things like quarantine and safety procedures. In Prometheus, absolutely nobody is good at his or her job. Uh, also the original star Trek mostly shows the enterprise crew being pretty competent, but now we're only allowed to view science explorer heroes. If the focus is on the captain being unqualified for his rank. Uh, but meanwhile, competence porn is our most popular entertainment in the movies, as well as television, medical shows like house and forensic detective shows like CSI or bones celebrate the hero who has godlike powers uh, of reconstructing the past and figuring out what's ex exactly what's happened. There are detectives who can tell whether you're lying at a glance or who can reconstruct a complicated crime scene by looking at a few twigs, Sherlock style. And as we uh, wrote a while wrote a while back every police procedural and spy show or movie has to have the stock quote-unquote nerd character uh standing breaking in think like uh, q or r or whatever they're calling him now in the in the bond movies right the slightly loopy guy or gal who can hack into any computer or zoom and enhance any video there is an army of incredibly brilliant non-night nigh-omnipotent nerds on television and one of the most popular procedural uh, procedurals right now is a surprisingly awesome person of interest in which the Nero Wolf character is a super smart former hacker named Finch who built an artificial intelligence that can predict crimes and terror attacks before they happen. And of course, that show is just you know, perpetuating this whole idea. We got to keep on this war on terror, even though supposedly it's more of a private you know, show, like I mentioned, like in the 80s, where it was a private thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, reading on. But the, the moment you're dealing with a future tech, futuristic technology, B actual weird science, C aliens, D space, E anything that can't be passed off as an extension of current tech scientists vanish from the picture. Those nerds who can solve anything are suddenly nowhere to be seen. The competence porn is replaced by incompetence snuff porn. 
Sometime in the past decade or so, there was a definite shift in the zeitgeist, a kind of mini singularity, maybe when many Americans started to feel as though science and technology were growing in sophistication beyond our ability to master them. We completed the Human Genome Project in 2003, mapping the human genome for the first time, and now a decade later, people are having their individual genomes sequenced for just $5,000 a pop. In the past couple decades, uh, laparoscope techniques, uh, techniques and robotic surgical tools have revolutionized surgery, allowing incredibly complex procedures with a much higher success rate you've got the internet in your pocket so they're saying all these amazing things are happening let's read on so my theory is people love to fantasize about having mastery of the world we currently live in where once they fantasized about being the heroic explorer who visited other planets or built the next generation of insane technology now they just want to be able to make their their desktop pcs work properly they want to understand what the heck is going on outside their windows one piece of evidence, the, the number of people working in tech support, uh, tech support seems to be going up sharply, even beyond the fact that we're recovering from a recession. The quote-unquote professional business services sector, which includes tech support as well as quote-unquote network computing and communications uh, support, employed 19.7 million Americans in 2008 and is expected to add an extra 1.4 million workers by 2018, according to Georgetown University, making it the second fastest growing sector. And 35% of companies plan to hire new tech Tech support in 2013. People are spending all their time calling tech support, basically. At the same time, lots of formerly secure white-collar and blue-collar jobs are being destroyed by advances in robotics and in computer systems generally. So people feel out of their depth and attracted to any hero who seems to have a handle on this crazy world we live in, and they're saying, standing breaking in right now. But we feel threatened by actual scientists or anyone who seems likely to bring in the next wave of change before we're ready for it. This shift coincides with the decline in space opera on television and the rise of apocalypses and disaster porn, which are at least partly a wish fulfillment fantasy about life becoming simpler and less confusing again. We have competence porn in the present day, but when we imagine the near future, we reach for disaster porn. What will it take? To reunite competence porn in science fiction, maybe once the people who didn't grow up with the Internet in their pocket age, uh, age out of the all important 18 to 49 demographic, there will be another shift in people's tastes. Maybe the next wave of technological change will make people feel more contr in control again. Maybe we'll all become cyborgs and our brain implants will make us crave stories about competent people in the future. We can hope anyway. Now, so that's the end of that story. I have a reaction from David Brin that I want to read. But to some degree, I agree with that. Uh, I think that people, yeah, I think it makes sense that, that people just don't understand the world and they're not about to go watch a bunch of documentaries. And honestly, so many documentaries that get made today are so sensationalized, they might as well be fiction anyway, um, that they latch on to, you know, Bones or NCIS or whatever the fuck show, you know, that, that shows people making sense out of the world because they can't make any sense out of it. And I get that, you know, <laughs> I, I really like I, I can understand that. And but it's depressing to me because I don't like the fact that disaster, you know, that that apocalypse, you know, dystopian futures and all this stuff are so popular. That really annoys me. Uh, let me let me read David Brin's comments here. And then I, I have a lot I want to say on this. So, again, David Brin, you know, very popular science fiction author and author of, you know, nonfiction as well. Uh, and a guy that's had movies made out of his stuff and all that. Very successful. He's certainly a guy that can say, you know, that has some standing when it comes to talking about science fiction uh, and the rest of it. And like I said, he's a very knowledgeable guy, you know, kind of a fair scientist on his own. I think he's an astrophysicist or something. But anyway, uh, let's read what he had to say. 
and he, he's referencing this article. Um, he said, how uh, SF split off from competence porn, the latter genre, like the Martian, which that's that there is where it kind of came back. Admittedly, Stallion breaking in the Martian uh, is competence porn in space. You know, it is science fiction and it is competence porn, which I'm, I'm glad uh, that that did get made and was very successful. And I actually thought it was a really good movie. Uh, anyway, like the Martian thrills fans with a can do spirit that used to be core to science fiction, both on page and on screen. Um, in io9, Charlie Jane's Anders writes, the shift coincides with the decline in space opera on television and the rise of, uh, of apocalypses and disaster porn, which are disaster porn, which are at least partly a wish fulfillment fantasy about life becoming simpler and less confusing. Again, we have competence porn in the present day, but when we imagine the near future, we reach for disaster porn. I revere Charlie, Charlie, uh, Jane for among other things, clearly citing the current largely dismal mood in SF as dull, uh, unimaginative and unhelpful contributing to decayed confidence in real life problem solving where I part companies over why this is not a matter of near future versus far competence and hope set amid thrilling danger and good writing can be found in SF set amid all kinds of futures near middle and far as evoked by Stargate and Firefly uh, by the works of uh, Ian M. Banks, who of course, Stanley breaking into the culture series, which is awesome anarchist science fiction uh, at its near best and Werner Vinge and some of uh, the rest of us try as well. No, the plague of zombies and apocalypses and illogically red eyed dystopias has one central cause laziness. Plotting is vastly easier when there are no helpful institutions or professionals, when power is automatically and simplistically evil, when there's no citizenship and, there, and the hero's uh, neighbors are all bleeding sheep. Relax any of those cliches, then suddenly an author or director has to put down the joint and think. Aha! There's, there's a key, key point there. This, that is why competence porn about folks taking on tomorrow's problems with energy, focus, and goodwill is so rare. It is also why a, cli a cliche-fatigued public is starting to turn eyes, raising them from fields of undead, looking not towards demigods, but toward engineers. Now, to some degree, you know, aside from the citizenship nonsense, <laughs> I, I agree with David Brin's point, but I think it's really a mixture of both. I think there are a lot of people that are really striving for simpler times. And I totally get that because it's not that the technology we have is hard. It's really not. It's just that you get inundated out of Silicon Valley with so much crap, like so many apps, so many startups that are just full of shit and completely unnecessary, nor are they wanted. Who the fuck wanted, or even just businesses overall, who, seriously, who the fuck wanted, what, what, there, what, there's a company called Freshnecks. I imagine maybe they've tanked. If they haven't, that's unbelievable. Or there's companies that, that'll ship you fresh underwear and all that stuff. Like Freshnecks sends you a new tie every week, every two weeks or something like, are you serious? You need people to, to, to mail you in ties. You need a subscription service to a fucking tie service. That, that's just, that's just stupendously complex. <laughs> that's moronic and there's a bunch of these other things that are i mean they are just pointless so pointless there's some that are really great okay you know streaming music apps and all some of this stuff is really cool but there's so much of it that is just just shit and so yeah i think life has become you know unnecessarily complex largely due to you know the these pie in the sky people that are just trying to make a quick buck 
it's not because the technology is complex. I don't agree with that assessment. It's not because the science is complex. It's not. It's just be, I mean, yeah, it is inherently because it's science and it takes a lot of work, you know, a lot of research and all that, but it's, they're not really difficult concepts to understand. It's all made complex because people are just, just, just pushing bullshit on you. Now, is that where the, you know, the love for, for dystopian stuff comes from? Yeah, partly, but also I agree with David Brin in that. I think a lot of these, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of directors, writers and all that, they don't want to have to go through the process. Uh, and perhaps they don't have the budget, you know, to bring on the military and all that, or, you know, work with police, whatever, like, uh, well, you know, actually, it's important to bring up shows like CSI and CIS and all that. They're written by guys that have been in the business forever, like Donald Belisario and others who have done some great works in their past, you know, or, or, or Rockney S. O'Bannon and, and guys like that. OK, so they're genuinely bright guys. But a lot of the new blood that have come in and are making a lot of these, you know, bullshit shows like Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. I can't stand either of them. Um, yeah, I think that they are just lazy. They don't want to take the time to sit down and think, and I'm not insulting people. You know, David Brim was kind of ripping on people that, that are lighting up a joint. Okay. I'm not, I don't mean to insult you for doing that. And, and I'm not, I, you know, I'm just saying that, yeah, I mean, they don't want to stop and think, okay, what is it like? You know, I mean, it'd be interesting. Okay. Walking dead. We, there's no government. How do we, how exactly does all this work out? How do we get by with that? Wouldn't it be interesting if it wasn't the walking dead, but it was just a future where, I don't know, whatever happened, the government stopped existing and, but nobody wants to take the time to sit down and think about what exactly that would look like. You know, what, wouldn't it be amazing to watch a show where there weren't, you know, hierarchical structures and all of this, you know, what would that look like? But people don't want to take the time to work on that stuff. They just don't. I, I agree with Bryn that I think, you know, there's a lot of intellectual laziness in Hollywood and they don't want to explore these things. But also, you know, it, there is there is truth to the fact uh, that I think that people feel like life is just nuts. It's it's so complex. And that's why I think things like, you know, primitivism and all of this become very appealing to people, you know, and a lot of that perception, you know, the, the perception of the complexity of life and all that could really be reversed if people would just just if writers and others would just sit down and think and lay it out. Uh, you know, it's interesting, though, there might be a turnaround on this with competence porn in science fiction because there was a recent show, The Expanse. Holy shit. I haven't seen a show that good in so long. And it's because it didn't treat me like an idiot. It, it really went into depth. It talked a lot about how are things working here? What is it like? It went into, uh, you know, the politics. I don't mean electoral politics necessarily, but the politics of, of the future and all that. It, 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 it dived deep and you had to be competent to survive in that universe. It was really cool to see that again. And these are, you know, largely, I think the shows, and this is something else, because I think a lot of shows like Battlestar Galactica, you know what? It's forgettable. Other than that, people do cosplay of it here and there. It's forgettable. And most people that love the show admittedly fell off the horse, you know, with the ending of it. And good, because I think that the 2005 Galactica was just, just crap. The shows that stand the test of time are the ones that actually have a positive message, like Star Trek, where it says, no, there's going to be a future. We're going to get through this. And I'm not saying Star Trek is the perfect future. Far from. I don't agree with the existence of the Federation. But that doesn't mean I can't enjoy, you know, the the you know, the exuberance, the high technology and, and the good times, uh, you know, that that the people have in that show or the the competence porn that they deliver. 
other shows, uh, Buck Rogers, even, even though that's after a, you know, a post-apocalyptic event, you know, these are the shows, a lot of these shows really do stick out in people's minds because they show, you know, they're hopeful overall. They're very hopeful. Uh, a lot of movies that, that have a hopeful science fiction. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of movies that have that, but they're always the ones that, that stick out in people's minds. You know, I, I think a lot of a lot of Star Wars' appeal is because, yeah, no, the rebellion wins the day, the evil empire ends, and uh, you know, everybody has a good party with the Ewoks and life goes on. That positivity sticks with people. And I can't, you know, I, I really have to believe that the reason that it's not out there more is just because it's so hard. You know, or you know, it, it it confronts these directors and writers' laziness zones to uh, to deliver it. I think it's interesting that most of the content out there now is all being ripped from novels, because novels is the only place where it seems like writers are willing to do the work to explore what the future can look like if it's not a negative future, if it's a happy future, or the like, or that where people, where heroes are competent and where there's scientists again. And I mean, you know, admittedly, the government's got to hate science fiction. In fact, I never thought about this before. I didn't think about this until I found out about just how involved the government is in Hollywood. I mean, right down to the fact that they kept Top Gun 2 from getting made, which fuck them. <laughs> I want Top Gun 2. Uh, but anyway, you know, uh, I think science fiction might not have been so popular just because they couldn't insert, you know, uh, NYPD. They couldn't insert the FBI. They couldn't insert the CIA or whoever else into that picture. The United States probably didn't exist, you know, in all of this. They couldn't inject all of these ideas to to hopefully get people to think, oh, yeah, no, 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 don't worry. We're going to ensure you have this bright future when really, you know, all of these alphabet soup organizations and governments are, you know, they're the biggest boobies on the planet. And I don't mean boobies in the nice way. I mean, boobies in the Dr. Smith way. <laughs> So science fiction has had a bad rap. And you know what? I think it all comes down to government. And I think that's still kind of true. Well, maybe the tide is finally turning a little bit. We'll see. But uh, yeah, folks, be hopeful about the future. Even if things end up in, a, in, a, in perhaps an ugly direction, we can still change it and we can even exist outside. I'll be back with more. Hey, look, we talk about decentralization. We talk about backing things up all the time on Sovereign Tech. So what I want you to do is I want you to take those ideas, take those principles and apply them to your wealth, apply them to your money. Okay. And so I want you to get your hands on some gold and some silver. I want you to go to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. You got to check these guys out. Tim Fry, maybe you heard the interview uh, a few weeks ago. He is one of us, and he's running one of the best businesses out there right now. And he accepts Bitcoin. If you want to get your hands on some gold and silver, get your hands on it quick. And I mean quick. <laughs> like I've heard stories of people that have gotten verified, that have gotten their gold like in under 24 hours shipped to them across the country. Unbelievable. Uh, so I'm telling you, you want to do this. If you have Bitcoin, you want, or, you know, you can use, you don't just have to use Bitcoin. There's other ways to go uh, to get it, but I want you to get your hands on some of the best precious metals out there with the best company, bar none in the Golden Stallion's opinion. And that's Roberts and Roberts. Go for it. Let them know Sovereign Tech sent you. Go to gold.zog.ninja. That'll take you to the right place gold.zog.ninja roberts and roberts they're ready 
to get you some gold, get you some silver for your Bitcoin or however you want to pay for it. Just check them out. They've been in business for 40 years. You can't beat it. Roberts and Roberts. Let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Welcome, Agent Sovereign. Please put on your headset to enter virtual reality. I'm ready. Hit me. Now entering Unimatrix Zero. <sighs> I love this place. Secret community away from the... Hey, Agent Sovereign. Hello, who are you? I'm Pixel. I like this place you've built in VR. Encrypted, secure, and very private. No one from the corporate system to see us or tell us what to do. And if you're here, you must be friends with... <laughs> Oh yes, I've met the other girls, Brian. But I'm here now because we have another mission. We need to hack into the new system. They're about to... Tell me on the way. Let's get out of Unimatrix Zero. And don't worry, a quick hack solves everything. Hack It is time for HackSec, where we talk issues of hackers and security. And uh, boy, speaking of government, we're going to get into some government bullshit here in just a second. Uh, or well, not bullshit. It's it's actually it would seemingly be good, but I, w- I want to break it down. But I hope you get the the reason why that competence porn story I think was so important and so re- relevant to everything we talk about on Sovereign Tech. It's that you know looking out at the future. I mean, I bring up you know I know I know I get very negative about things on Sovereign Tech, but largely. I have I am so optimistic about the future and I am so optimistic because I know that people, you know, a lot of the people that I know are very competent. You know, they know and they they instinctively seem to know, you know, right and wrong that, you know, they know how to do things, how to get things done, how to really, you know, build an incredible future. They know they're doing it. And that's so exciting to me uh, that that's happening. But. Anyway, uh, let's let's talk about a, a direction that a lot of people work towards that really is, um, well, frankly, it's fucking worthless. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're, we're going to talk about there is an email bill uh, that got passed recently, and I'll, I'll read it here uh, from The Intercept. Um, which of course is Glenn Greenwald's outfit. Uh, they they report some great stuff, uh, and this is but this is by Jenna McLaughlin. Uh, email privacy bill passes House unanimously. The House voted, of course, as the House of Representatives in the United States. I know I have Sovereign Tech has a very global audience, so I, I need to be more clear on what country we're talking about. Uh, but anyway, the House voted unanimously uh, 419 to zero. So that is absolutely unanimous on Wednesday to bring the law that protects the privacy of Americans emails into the 21st century. The Email Privacy Act would reform the 1986 Email Communications Privacy Act by requiring all federal agencies, with few exceptions, there are exceptions, to get a warrant before searching old digital communications stored in the cloud by companies like Google and Facebook. In 1986, or quote, in 1986, the assumption was that if you left your email on a server, it was abandoned, like trash on a street corner, end quote, said Representative Ken Yatter uh, of Kansas, one of the bill's authors during a GOP conference Wednesday morning. He said it, quote, restores the Fourth Amendment and treats email with the same protections as paper mail, end quote. Uh, Stallion breaking in quick, boy. <laughs> yeah, we, we just we think of that as trash. Of course, it's digital. There's nothing necessarily like trash about it. It's not like somebody hit the delete button uh, and then they're hitting. I mean, the concept of trash in the digital realm is the antithesis 
of what it is, you know, in the real world. When you put something in the trash in the real world, yes, it is something that would be, you know, abandoned. It's something that you could try and pick out of a trash can and I can't see why anybody would stop you. The person relinquished, uh, you know, kind of their, their desire for it. But in the digital realm, when you put something in the trash, you want it to go away permanently. <laughs> At least that, that should be the concept. Uh, so that just shows how the, the complete lack of understanding the government has always had uh, on this stuff is that they don't understand how digital works. And people at the time did know the trash bin has been a part of computers for a very long time. <laughs> okay. I think it was, might even have been in the original, you know, Xerox, uh, uh, uh computer anyway. Uh, technology companies reading on and privacy advocates alike immediately took to the Twitterverse to celebrate because the bill would protect innovation in cloud computing just as much as it would protect Fourth Amendment rights. Now they are urging the Senate uh, to take action. And of course, there were, you know, a bunch of, of tweets talking about that saying, OK, because now it has to pass through the Senate. And of course, then I, I guess technically get vetoed uh, by the executive branch, by the president, if they don't happen to like it. Uh, so that's it, a little bit of a short story, but I think it dovetails nicely very much with what we were talking about last week with the Microsoft with Microsoft suing the U.S. government. OK, and it dovetails with the Apple versus FBI case um, as well. And, you know, micro, but Microsoft's point, and I loved that they brought up this point because so few have ever said it, and certainly nobody with the, the stroke that Microsoft has, said that there's no reason that somebody's data, somebody's personal information, uh, you know, or, or personal effects, and people do have digital personal effects. Most of my personal effects, I mean, I can fit my life in, you know, in a very small case, very small, almost in a backpack, you know, minus the clothes. Uh, and, and I don't have many of those either. I wear all black all the time. That's why, you know, traveling makes traveling easy. But anyway, as Microsoft said, you know, there's no reason to consider digital stuff to be, you know, why, why is that any less protected, uh, per se, or considered different per se than physical stuff. Okay. Now, you know, the trash example, you know, excluded because it, it just it just operates differently. But overall, the point stands is that there's really no good reason why, you know, somebody's personal effects online or on their computer or whatever should not have the same, quote unquote, protections. And please, I don't believe in government protections whatsoever. I'm an anarchist. OK, uh, but just, you know, speaking to the point why that that should be any different and why the government should just be able to without as in Microsoft's case, without letting anybody know without letting the person know that they are accessing their emails or files or whatever, uh, that they are doing so. Because in the real world, the government can't just walk in, at least not technically. They can't just walk in and start, you know, sifting through your stuff. They need to have, you know, they need to let you know that they're going to do that. They need to have warrants and all of this. By and large, I mean, again, there's exceptions. Now, this is the thing, is that within the bill, I was not clear on what exactly the exceptions were, but I'm sure those exceptions really make this entire bill uh, meaningless. Okay. <laughs> so I get it. You know, it's interesting. It's exciting. And most people don't realize um, that and there's a couple points here. One is, is that most people don't realize, you know, you're the only stuff that is really protected from prying eyes. Technically, I'm not saying that it actually is protected from the NSA, CIA, FBI or whoever is the mail that you sent through the U.S. post office. Supposedly, you've got to go through a bunch of legal hoops if you're a part of an alphabet soup organization to get access to what's in that in that envelope. OK, and that's the idea here is that email would get treated the same way. All right. Now, 
in the abstract, I think it's a great idea. Like I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, please. People should not just be able to just access that sort of thing. All right. But this bill isn't going to do jack shit. First off, there's exceptions. If there's exceptions, it's meaningless because people that you know, once you have those holes in it, you know, those loopholes and whatever, uh, all legislation, you know, becomes meaningless at that point. The other thing here is that what was clear in the bill is that it was talking about, you know, largely uh, communication stored in the cloud. So we're talking about, you know, a lot of web based email and all of this. It didn't say anything. And this is one of those loopholes that maybe people didn't catch. And I imagine people at the intercept might not have thought about Facebook. We talked about this on Sovereign Tech a few weeks ago. Facebook stores a lot of their stuff onto Blu-rays. They don't store them on servers. Does getting access to a Blu-ray like does that fall under different rules? Like if they want, you know, okay, yeah. Could you please give us data of a year ago on such and such a person? And they're like, all right, we have that on a Blu-ray. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Just hand, you know, send me a copy of the Blu-ray and all this. You don't even have to go to the server, uh, at least, you know, to, to retrieve it anyway, maybe to find out, you know, you have to go through a CMS to find it or something. But, uh, but anyway, I, there's, there's not a lot of clarity on that. My point being overall is that, once again, I think the political system shows it has no teeth and that it is bullshit to even deal with. There's exceptions in this bill and not just not just technical exceptions that are like, well, you know, if, if this and this person did this, OK, you can go ahead and go through it. Um, but it also has, uh, you know, it, it has questionable, you know, what data is actually accessible or what data is being protected on what mediums, because it doesn't seem to cover the broad swath of including Blu-rays and things like this under this email protection act or whatever. Uh, and it really shows, again, just how incompetent people in the government are and have been for a long, long time. That bill was written in 1986. And obviously they did not consult any experts because anybody that was doing anything with email at the time, uh, because the government certainly wasn't getting on board with it. Uh, you know, anybody that was doing anything with it would have told them you're not allowed to look at this. <laughs> okay. Cause it would have been a bunch of cypherpunks. So it's nonsense. Don't get excited over this bill. Uh, never get excited over anything political. Uh, because it's all crap, and I think it's proven here. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Now, think about the emotions of anger, sadness, joy, and fear. Well, what do they have in common? Well, one thing is you can usually tell which one a person is feeling by looking at his or her face, but it's different with love. You usually can't tell if a person's feeling love by looking at his or her facial expression alone. Well, there appears to be at least four different kinds of love. One type is called passionate love. That's when you're head over heels in love with someone, and you've got that walking on the clouds feeling when you see them or think about them. Another type of love is called companionate love, which is what you tend to feel for a long-term mate after the passionate love stage is gone. It's described as a feeling of calmness, comfort, and security. A third type of love is called maternal love, which is what a parent feels for a child. And a fourth kind is called unconditional love, which is what we might feel for someone who has a disability or is on radio. If you look at the brain scans of people who are feeling these different kinds of love, there will be a substantial overlap in the parts of the brain that light up. But you'd also see that each of these different types of love has its own unique neurological footprint, which means that each is its own unique, different feeling. 
For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. I'm in. That was almost too easy. Easy? More like you're very talented. <laughs> Thank you, Agent Sovereign. I hear you're very talented yourself. Oh, Pixel. Flattery will get you everywhere with me. What do we have? Blockchain transactions, smart contracts, the usual nonsense for my... Wait a minute. What's this? That looks like... Important messages. It is time for important messages where I cover all the emails and messages and whatever that get sent into me through the various channels available. Uh, of course there's, well, you just go to contact.zog.ninja and you can find everything there, all the ways to get in touch with me, email, telegram. Uh, in fact, some guy sent me a great shot of <laughs> on telegram and he showed me a, a picture of him listening to sovereign tech, but it was through, I'm guessing it was through his uh, Chromecast or what do they call it now? Google cast or whatever. Uh, but he had it on the big screen and there i am on the big screen i was like <laughs> i thought that was so cool i'm really honored uh by that and that i'm guessing if it was on there hey the whole family's listening well <laughs> right on <laughs> Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, you know, really, I, the people that listen to this show, you are just, you are just amazing, wonderful, beautiful people. Uh, I've gotten to meet some of you over the years and it's always been a great experience. Uh, and I just, just wonderful. So thank you always to everybody so much that, that listens to the show, uh, especially the thousands of new listeners, um, that I have. Uh, so, you know, I want to be, when you hear this episode, I want to get this out of the way before we get into some of the questions. Okay. When you hear this episode, um, on Twitter there, I am going to pose a question and the question I, I want to know. And unfortunately, yes, if you're using your real identity on Twitter, I'm going to know what it is. Um, but what I want to know is that because you can do polls on Twitter, I just want to know what operating system, like my average audience uses. Okay. Uh, if it's windows, uh, and, and I'll probably break it down. I, I don't, I don't know how many I can add in, but you know, I, I want to break it down to, you know, windows, Mac OS. Yes. That's what OS 10 is called now windows, Mac OS, uh, you know, or Linux. And if I can get particular, I'll put in Ubuntu and you know, whatever. Um, but I, I really, I'm very interested, you know, to, to hear what most people, uh, use because there's the chance that me bringing up any kind of windows news is falling on deaf ears. So, and I mean, if, if, if people aren't interested in hearing, you know, any, anything related to windows, like we talked about QuickTime last week, I mean, sometimes something that happens in windows is something that affects, uh, you know, the, the tech world overall. Um, but yeah, I want to know. So I am when, at, by the time you hear this, if you just go to uh, my Twitter page, of course, it's at sovereign tech, uh, you will see that, that poll there and, and please feel free, uh, you know, to answer it. I'll try and make use of those more. Um, but, uh, but Twitter is where I have my main following. You know, I have quite a few thousand user, uh, followers on, uh, on Twitter. So I would, you know, that that's the market signal for me is to ask that question there <laughs> anyway. And, and I guess if you want, you could email me with, with what you use. That's fine too. Um, all right. So important messages. Uh, this is, you know, kind of, Going off of the whole science fiction theme that we were just talking about, um, there was a real loss. And I actually kind of I called for a moment of silence um, on uh, at ZOG.ninja. I did a Zogblog post about it. 
uh, that I was really sad to hear about this. Um, Gareth Thomas, who he, he was the guy that played Blake Raj Blake in the great show, which I've advertised for here on, on, on sovereign tech in the past, uh, Blake seven, which you can still follow Blake seven adventures, big finish productions, a company I just love. They do uh, audio, uh, theater, of Blake seven. And of course, a bunch of other shows, Highlander, Stargate, a whole bunch of them that are, that are really awesome. Um, and they also, they are, you know, working concert with publishing novels that are the further adventures of, you know, of the, the Blake seven universe. Uh, Blake seven is one of the best science fiction shows out there. Hands down. Um, it would definitely be in my, I think it would be in my top five. It would be real close to hitting number one if Babylon 5 didn't exist, which is one I've been advertising since show one of Sovereign Tech. And a lot of people have been very thankful that I've brought, I've brought that, you know, Babylon 5 to their attention. Um, and Blake 7 really was an inspiration, admittedly, openly admittedly by J. Michael Straczynski, the creator of Babylon 5, that it was an inspiration for Babylon 5. Um, Gareth Thomas died, uh, boy, a couple weeks ago now. Uh, in, in his seventies. And what a pity, because I don't think he ever got the credit. I mean, you know, what, what really ticked me off about it? Uh, some people asked me about it and I said, yeah, you know, they said, it's like, boy, Stallion, you, you didn't dedicate a, an episode of Sovereign Tech to Gareth Thomas. I'm like, no, well, I dedicated a whole post on my site to him. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely did a dedication. And, uh, and that's the thing is that, you know, Pete, if you think I didn't cover something, please always check ZOG.ninja because I might've covered it there. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so sad because I don't think he got the credit for, I mean, not that he was in all three seasons of Blake's or, you know, every season of Blake seven. Uh, but he, he was so good on that show. That show is so like the show is so kind of morally ambiguous, like not, not like in the Battlestar Galactica way where it's just sort of there to shock, um, or that, uh, you know, there's no real heroes at all. I mean, definitely they were, you know, in Blake seven, there were definite heroes taking on a definite tyrannical villain. Uh, you know, so it's different from Battlestar Galactica, but it was so cool. Like, I mean, I the character of Kara Avon, uh, fortunately that actor, Paul Darrow still alive. What a great actor. Uh, I love that guy. Like he, I mean, just, he was the, like the original hacker hero in the seventies, you know, before hackers were even totally a thing. I mean, yeah, they were a thing, Captain Crunch, you know, and, 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 and was and all that. Okay. But hey, man, just, just awesome. Blake seven is so good. It should have been considered. It should have had some degree of a, a rehash. Fortunately, big finish kind of gave that, but I don't know that everybody gave that the time of day. If you love science fiction, you are doing a disservice. I don't care how crappy the effects look. The acting, like the acting by Gareth Thomas and others was so solid. The stories were so good. Like, I, I mean, and just, just kind of like even the moral arguments around everything. You never heard that before on television anywhere. I had to, you don't, you don't, you know, and this is the thing too. So now it's available on DVD. Now you can torrent it. When I was a teenager in the nineties, I had to pay some serious fucking cash to a guy in Britain. Okay. To smuggle me some VHS tapes of the show. Because, yeah, I heard Straczynski talk about it, but I could never see it. 
And so, I, you know, I had to do a veritable smuggling operation because nobody else would fucking play it. And that goes to the point that goes to the sadness of this all is that show should never stop airing. Just let it keep rocking, you know, and the Sci-Fi Channel never really played it. So Gareth Thomas never really got his due. He's right up there, in my opinion, with the Mark Hamels, the William Shatners and all of that, because that show was so good. And it was actually supposed to be tied into the Doctor Who universe. And it was created by Terry Nation, who created the, the Daleks and Cybermen, I think. Um, so, you know, if you love Doctor Who, you, you want to see this, too. Uh, I don't love the modern Doctor Who ever since Chris Eccleston left, but whatever. If you dig it, cool. Uh, so... Yeah, really sad that we lost Gareth Thomas. And just the real sadness is that it was with so little fanfare, so little talk about it. You know, I tried, I, I shared it up on social media. It was such a loss. Um, but yeah, there, there it is. Not to say, you know, like when Leonard Nimoy died, I mean, that hit me hard, you know, and, and, and he deserves like all the fanfare that he got for when he died. Same with Prince, same with China, even though China didn't get really a whole lot either, sadly. Um, but, you know, when a lot of these guys like this, just because, I don't, I don't know, what for whatever reason, people, like we were talking about earlier with science fiction, how people just, they can't seem to handle some looks at the future, even though I guess maybe Blake 7 sort of falls into a dystopia. Yeah, it's just sad. So Gareth Thomas d- definitely, definitely missed. Um, anyway, let's let's get into a couple other questions here before uh, before we run out on the segment. Uh zog.ninja okay speaking of the website that i just keep touting um, of course this has been my website for for some time now uh the redesign some people ask me about the redesign there are people that love because like now it's all black and green i wanted it to look like a classic uh you know like a like a classic uh terminal okay <laughs> yeah I, I love i i forget where the quote's from maybe it's from sneakers or something where the guy says it's like we're hackers everything's black and green you know <laughs> And so I went with that, but that wasn't actually the official redesign. Um, the official redesign, some people might've been able to see it, that redesign, because I, I don't know if I mentioned this in previous episodes, because I was working on it live at one point and there is still a heavy redesign going on for ZOG.ninja and it's not done. So what I have up there is really just doing what I wanted to. I, you know, I really wanted to make the site all black. Uh, that's kind of a theme with me in case you didn't know <laughs> the man in triple black. Right. Uh, so that, th- you know, th- it's really kind of a placeholder. And also, you know, with my sponsors, I wanted to make sure, you know, that, that they have, you know, they have billing there effectively, you know, that, that you can see them that way if you want to find them and they're, and I, we have great sponsors on sovereign tech, uh, you know, I wanted I wanted to keep that there. So it's kind of a placeholder, but there is a new website coming. It is taking quite a bit of time. Uh, I was feeling really bad about it. I still feel bad about it, but I talked to some other podcasters about their websites and they're like, yeah, I've been working on it for years. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to take years. I'm like, but at least I don't feel so bad. Uh, and these are, you know, these are very serious, you know, major podcasts, uh, that, that I talked to. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, and even like, you know, I, uh, I listened to the Eddie trunk show speaking of podcasts, one of my favorite shows, it's, it's one of the rare few, you know, that I really make it a point to, to listen to the day that it comes out. Um, I love the Eddie trunk show cause I'm a huge metal head in case you didn't know already. <laughs> um, and he just recently redid his website. And part of the major redos for a lot of these websites is a concentration more on mobile. Now, I don't necessarily think we need to concentrate on mobile. And my website as it stands looks very nice on mobile, but it's not necessarily optimized. I mean, it's optimized, but it's not. It could be better. 
And so that that's definitely something I'm looking at is something that is able able to, you know, morph uh, between screens a little bit better, maybe even look good on a watch. <laughs> uh, so uh, Eddie Trunk, he did it. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he has entire production teams. He's not doing his own work. I largely do most of the work here. You know, I do my own website. I do all the own. Right. I mean, it's a one man show. Okay, with Sovereign Tech and Dark Android and and all Audio of the Ancients, all the projects that I do, uh, you know, Zomi Offline Games and all that. Um, but he he did a major redesign and he's still running into glitches and he talks about it every week and he has to apologize for it. And so I don't want to have to apologize for it. I want to make sure everything's working pretty much out of the gate. Um, and so for that reason, right now, you know, you're stuck with the the black and green kind of redesign of the classic site uh, that I had there. Um, so, so that, that's, that's the reality around that. Some people emailed me, said they saw like, it's like, whoa, your, your site looks amazing. And then, you know, I, I took that, that part of it, you know, I took that new design down uh, and some people are wondering what happened to it and it is still coming. Um, I just wanted, you know, to let you know about that. And, and obviously, you know, things will work very well. Uh, all right. So, you know, but while we're talking about websites, let's, let's get to a question about a web browser. Um, someone asked me what I thought about Vivaldi. Now there has been a lot of native advertising in my opinion. I've seen Ars Technica and some others, uh, you know, publish stories about Vivaldi and I can't help but think that they're native advertising because it seems to come up a lot and, uh, you know, it kind of works because, you know, people are emailing me about it. I'm not saying you fell for anything by emailing me. Um, but I tried it out. I tried out Vivaldi. It's out of beta. It's fine. Finally, version 1.0. And I have to admit now, full disclosure, it's not open source. We got to get that out of the way. Okay. But neither is Chrome. <laughs> so if you use Google Chrome and you're going to say, well, Vivaldi's not open, not open source. So I'm not going to use it. Uh, you're full shit. All right. So open source issue aside, let's put that out there. And if you, if that is reason enough for you to not use it, I understand. Okay. I, I, I accept that. Um, Vivaldi is slick. It is really nice. <laughs> like, like hot damn. <laughs> is it good? Uh, it is billed as the, you know, it's kind of the, the, the web browser for power users and also for everybody else. I mean, you know, because it'll hide a lot of those power user features if you don't want them. Um, but what an awesome browser. Like I, I am shocked at how fast it is. It uses the Blink Engine, which is Google's own version of WebKit. Uh, you know, their, their fork from it. Uh, so obviously, you know, the rendering's fast and all that. It didn't look like it was taking up as much processing power as Google Chrome does. Um, but what's interesting is that, and, and this, this might be a, a winner for a lot of people, is that it can natively run Chrome extensions. So you can run Signal on there. You can run Mailvelope. Uh, you can run line, you can run, you know, all, all those, you can go right to the Chrome web store and you can install apps and extensions directly into, uh, Vivaldi and you can put apps in there too, like Authy or whatever else, uh, because you can, there's a Google has like, they're getting rid of, I don't know if we talked about this on sovereign tech, they're getting rid of the, the little Chrome, uh, app, uh, uh, button that's in your taskbar or wherever it ends up showing up, uh, they've been getting rid of that, or they're going to be phasing that out anyway. And now it's being done. There's a little Chrome uh, app button that you can add to Vivaldi as well as Google Chrome uh, that that'll bring down all of your apps instead of the extensions. Cause those are two separate things. Uh, but like mini lock, 
all of these different things you can run right in Vivaldi and, mo- and most of them work pretty well. I've heard some of them don't like hangouts apparently is a little works, a little funky, uh, but you can just use the website for hangouts anyway. And I think it's a better experience. Um, so yeah, it's good. And the other thing I like about it is it has a, uh, has a dark theme across the board. Like, like when, when I full screen Vivaldi, you know, my, my eyes just feel at ease because it's like, ah, everything is finally dark, you know, and I can use, there's that high contrast app uh, or extension for that Google made for, for Chrome um, that works perfectly in Vivaldi that can, you know, turn Wikipedia into like black and yellow, which uh, I do that because yellow is easier on the eyes. If I had black and red, I'd do that, but uh, <laughs> or black and green would be even better. Um. It's it's like everything's really, really dark and you have total control. You can have tabs show up. You know, you can have your tab bar on the left or the right. Uh, you can really, you know, you can adjust a lot of things. Now, all of that said, I mean, and, and there's a bunch more features I didn't even get into. Apparently, there's going to be an email client uh, put into it. And I didn't even mention Vivaldi is uh, created by the original creator of Opera. Now, open source aside, and there have been times in my life where I wasn't so hard up about, you know, things being open source, uh, the Presto engine and, uh, opera itself as a browser. I used to love, I stopped using opera. I mean, pretty much the instant that they went to, uh, you know, WebKit and then eventually blink. Um, because what, what's the point then? <laughs> like it, it doesn't do anything different. And they got rid of a lot of the, like opera used to do so many cool stuff. Like there was opera one. That was my first real experience with like cloud storage of my music and all of that. Because with opera one, I think it was called opera one. I could access my music on any computer. Like say if it was all stored on my home server, I could access it at work, you know, wherever I was, <laughs> it was so cool. You know, as long as I had a, an internet connection, I had my laptop with me. Uh, that was great. And opera mail was, was pretty good at the time. Loved opera. All right. Even though it wasn't open source. Anyway, Vivaldi, uh, is going to be adding in seemingly a lot of this extra stuff that, uh, that, that opera had built in, um, you know, including a mail client and a lot of that there's, there's hints of that, but you do have to wonder about the security. I'm not so sure on that. I'll be back with more. All right, Savernati. You know, do you remember those two guys I had on recently? Fantastic. They did an interview. You had Ed Barsano, who was previously with Microsoft, and we had Pace Ellsworth. They're both from Cool Trade. Well, look, I got to tell you, you want to try this out. <laughs> okay. It's a robot that watches the market, updates your stock prices every second. That's right. This is all about investing, baby. You want to get in on it. Uh, and never misses a beat. Since it trades, it has stealth mode. Uh, 100% of the time, it takes profits away from Wall Street, and Wall Street can't do anything about it. Nobody knows what your goals are. I'm really honored that they are a sponsor for Sovereign Tech. Pace and Ed, they've got it together. Uh, You know, again, no guarantees of results, but look at the shit that's going on in Wall Street right now. (laughs) If you could take advantage of that, if you could game that system with software like CoolTrade, you want to be doing that. Programmer for CoolTrade, Ed Barsano, uh, still sells one-year licenses on his website for $3,500, but Pace Ellsworth has hooked us up. That's right, our good anarchist friend, Pace Ellsworth. Uh, he's negotiated an awesome deal. You can get your money growing on a pilot for $5.97 per quarter. $5.97. Like I said, uh, you really want to be in on this. And also, I mean, when you're trading online, usually, what, $7 to $10 a trade? With Cool Trade on a lot of online brokerages, you can get $1 trades. Only $1. Even if you start with $3,000 or $5,000, hell, you can go up to a million if you want to. Get started. Or just ask them more about it, go to smartmarketshow.com slash sovereign. Smartmarketshow.com slash sovereign. Or you can call Pace directly. Very approachable guy I know. He's a great guy. 
480-636-0927. It's 480-636-0927. He'll get you, he'll hook you right up. Let him know that the Golden Stallion sent you. He'll know exactly who you're talking about because he's a fan of this show himself. Uh, So you want to get in on this. Go ahead and and he'll hook you up into the smart market, the automation community. Really cool. I mean, just just great information uh, to to glean there and to get in on. Get on with it. Cool trade. Smartmarketshow.com slash sovereign. All right, let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Did you get all the data? I got all of it. It's finished once we get this uploaded. That's if we can get away from those blockchain drones in time. Don't worry, I've got it covered. Over here. I love a woman with a motorcycle. Get on. A bike is always my first choice. First choice. It is time for First Choice, where I cover the stories that get sent in to me uh, through the various channels available. Of course, go to contact.zog.ninja. Uh, you can send me any story you want. And sometimes I'll even cover a story that might not even be necessarily tech or science related, um, though I try to keep it that way. Same with the questions. During important uh, important uh, messages, I will answer questions that aren't necessarily, and I have quite a few I need to get to over the next couple episodes, um, that, uh, in fact, I might do another Q&A episode here in, in, the, in the very near future. Um, but they don't necessarily have to be science or tech related. That's, that's totally fine. But anyway, but this week's story is, is definitely uh, tech related. Um, but Vivaldi, you know, I just want to finish up on that. Uh, I don't know the security about Vivaldi, like how secure is the browser? It's, it's just too new, too fresh. Um, we're only on version 1.0. So, you know, if you're looking like, well, how did Vivaldi do in the pwn to own contest, you know, in comparison to, uh, the, the top winners this year were, uh, were Microsoft's edge and Google Chrome. Once again, is usually, you know, always at the top. Uh, you know, it's, we don't know yet how it's going to stack up against those. Uh, but it is, I'll tell you, it is a damned impressive browser. And honestly, if it were open source, I would recommend it, you know, without thinking twice, like that would be the fucking browser to use. Um, I mainly use SeaMonkey, uh, but yeah, I mean, especially if, uh, you know, if, if Vivaldi is going to start putting in all the stuff that was in, uh, Opera, oh yeah, <laughs> that'd be a winner on its hand. That's what I like about SeaMonkey is it has IRC built into it. Of course, you can go to irc.zodg.ninja if you want to, you know, chat on IRC, um, which I got to get back in that room. I've been so busy and traveling so much lately. I haven't been able to keep a constant connection in there. Uh, but anyway, yeah, very, very cool. Vivaldi is, is cool outside of the op- open source business. Um, all right, so we have this week, this story, this is um, this is one somebody sent in to me and they said, oh man, this is what you've been saying for a while, you know, and and I, I'm glad, I love it when that happens. I love I love giving getting the credit. I don't need to get the credit, okay? <laughs> but I love it when people realize, you know, or I know that they've listened and I know that they've internalized what I've said because they remember months and months down the line, something I, or even years down the line, something that I had said previous. Um, so anyway, let, let's start reading this. And this is actually by Joshua Topolsky, who is one of the guys, uh, I think he co-founded uh, Vice, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And it's, uh, it's, the title is Your Media Business Will Not Be Saved. Video will not, and, and this, this kind of dovetails nicely earlier with what we're talking about, about bullshit television shows and, you know, just like crap entertainment and all that, that, that comes from, from intellectual laziness, perhaps. 
Let's do this. Video will not save your media business, nor will bots, newsletters, a quote-unquote morning briefing app, a quote-unquote lean-back iPad experience, Slack integration, a Snapchat channel, or a great partnership with Twitter. All of these things together might help, but even then, you will not be saved by the magical new thing that everyone else in the media community is convinced will be the answer to the problem. I can tell you from personal experience over the last several months, having met with countless investors and leaders of media companies and editors and writers and technologists in the media world, that there is a desperate belief that the problem can be solved with the new thing. And God damn it, someone must have it in their pitch deck. A new kind of video app. The best news story is, uh, of the day, except all on video. Video, but with subtitles. Only 30-second videos designed for vertical screens. A personalized Facebook bot that delivers only the video you want. Video on demand. And over the top, linear, succulent, meaningful, plentiful, attention grabbing video. Or maybe a newsletter of some type. A video newsletter. But let me back up. <laughs> Stallion breaking it for a second. I love this. Because <laughs> it rips on. I mean, this is how the these are how this is how these people think. You know, oh yeah, okay, we gotta get on the newest platform, we gotta get on this. You, you know, I mean there's there's no staying power in any of it, and it all becomes meaningless and it all you know becomes ethereal and, and meaningless. Uh, I repeat myself <laughs> because it, you can't find it anymore. You can't look back on it. You know, like remember uh, last week I played that CBS clip. They went back to a clip with Walter Cronkite and that CBS clip was only a couple of weeks old. I mean, it's amazing to have that sense of history. It's so funny. People are like, well, we really don't have a sense of history until now. Uh, because now everything's recorded, everything, you know, we have so much online that we can look at and all that stuff. Not really because these services are shutting down. In fact, you know what? Uh, catch. K-A-T-C-H, which uh, worked with Periscope, which I like Periscope fine. I've used it a few times myself, uh, and like uh, the smart market shows on there. Okay. Uh, catch is a way of saving what Twitter deletes, quote unquote, deletes after a couple days. Catch is shutting down on May 4th. So, so like this idea that we're going to have the stuff for posterity. Yeah, you can locally save, uh, you know. Uh, periscopes and that's great but that there's this you know there's this posterity that is going to be accessible to everybody no not true uh so anyway uh, i'm getting way off topic let's read out with the with the story here what's the problem you ask that you know that new thing's going to solve the problem is that we used to have a really neat and tidy version of a media business where very large interests controlled vast swaths of the things we read watched and listened to because the system was built on the concept of scarcity and locality the limits of what was physically possible it it was very easy to keep the gates and fill the coffers. Put simply, there were far fewer players in the game with far fewer outlets for their content. So audience were easy to sell to and easy to come by. Then digital, then you and me. And all of a sudden, all those old fixed channels started falling apart. Papers didn't sell. Magazines died. Networks scrambled. Local news meant a lot less. Local papers even less than that. Suddenly, a lot more free stuff was available online and anyone could start a blog. But the media industry is a hulking, stupid, slow-moving beast that has little awareness about its threats and surrounding environs. I'm skipping over a few few parts, but by and large, the industry responded to the promise or threat, as they treated it, of digital by ignoring it or denying it. So instead of the content creators and advertisers who paid them shifting uh, their attention and understanding of user value towards the future, digital everything, they kept plugging away at the old system. Basically, it was 
really hard for them to figure out the internet and all of the money like subscriber dollars were still going to traditional outlets. So magazine ads remained orders of magnitude more valuable than their digital counterparts. If said counterpart even existed, TV was not even in the same class. Pennies on the dollar doesn't begin to describe it. It is still mostly this way today, a broken model that is aging badly. A second thing happened alongside those foundational publishing challenges. This industry, which had controlled its ability to reach a populace through ownership of things like printing presses began to see, its power in the delivery and distribution process to other people. People who didn't care about or understand the media business. People who told them the answer wasn't the best of something. It was the most of something. Partially, this was done out of fear, but mostly it was done out of ignorance. So over time, we built up a scale in digital to replace user value. We thought we could solve with numbers the new seemingly infinite numbers the internet and social media provides. What we couldn't solve with attention. Uh, and with every new set of eyeballs or clicks or views we added, we diminished the merit of what we made and advertisers asked for more because those eyes were worth less and we made more and it was less valuable. The media industry now largely thinks it's only working business model is to reach as many people as possible and sell usually programmatically, but sometimes not as many advertisements against that audience as it can. If they tell you otherwise, they are lying. They are also wrong. I believe in the long run. And this is where things get interesting. And then I have my I have my own comments uh, that I want to I want to make on the on the story. And every few months, or let's say annually, a technology uh, or idea or person comes along, and the very stupid and slow media industry thinks that the new thing will fix everything, get them back to the good times, make those pennies into actual dollars. One year it might be the iPad, the next it might be a quote unquote amateur journalist network. Maybe last year it's you won't believe what happens next. Maybe next year is video or live video. Maybe it's bots. Maybe it's instant articles. Maybe it's your new app. Certainly, it could be a little bit of all those things, but actually, it's not any of them. You can always get uh, some runway out of the new thing. You can always get a quick hit that looks like success from the new thing, but rarely, almost never, is the new thing what fixes your problem. And here's the, here's the rub. Your problem is that you make shit. A lot of shit. Cheap shit. And no one cares about your you or your cheap shit. And an increasingly aware, connected, and mutable audience is onto your cheap shit. They don't want your cheap shit. They want the good shit. And they will go to find it somewhere. Hell, they'll even pay for it. Stallion stopping there for a second. I read that verbatim out of the article. Fucking right. <laughs> And I hope that this is true, that people are realizing, you know, I got an email from somebody that said, after listening to Sovereign Tech and listening, you know, following my work for a while, they think everything is just marketing and advertising. Folks, it is. But it looks like people are starting to wisen up to the fact that BuzzFeed is feeding you bullshit, that Mashable, holy fuck. And, and boy, the Piper is getting paid on these companies because they're, they are laying people off. They're having to refocus. They're having to do all kinds of stuff because they've been schlepping crap to you and calling it news. Damn right. It's shit. It's cheap shit. And people want the good shit. Awesome. I hope this, I hope he's right on. Uh, I'm going to read the, just the, the rest of the story here. The truth is, 
that the best and most important things the media, let's say specifically the news media, has ever made were not made to reach the most people. They were made to reach the right people because human beings exist and we are not content consumption machines. What will save the media industry or or we're not content consumption machines. What will save the media industry or at least the part we're saving is when we start making real things for people again instead of programming for algorithm or new things. So what will matter in the next age of media? Compelling voices and stories, real and raw talent, new ideas that actually serve or delight an audience, brands that have meaning and ba- brands that have meaning and ballast. These are the things that matter in the next age of media. And Stanley breaking in, not to be immodest, but is that was that is this what's going on with the rise of sovereign tech lately? Fuck, I hope so. Because I try to keep it as real as it can fucking get. Reading on, thinking of your platform as an actual platform, not a delivery method. Knowing you're more than just your words. Thinking of your business as a product and storytelling business, not a headline and body copy business. Boy, Stanley breaking it again. How many fuck nuts out there are, you know, the only reason they get clicks is totally based upon their show titles or headlines. Ridiculous. Good. I hope people get sick of that shit and they don't fall for for stupid, uh, uh, you know, header pictures and all that. Oh, Reading on, thinking of your audience as finite and building a sustainable business model around that audience, that's going to matter. Thinking about your 10-year plan and not a billion-dollar valuation, that's going to matter. Right on with that, Stanley breaking it again, right on with that 10-year plan. People need to start thinking 10 years ahead of time. People need to think really long-term. You know, I get, I get asked a lot, okay? I mean, this is, this is such a great expose on how the internet news cycle works. I love it. I'm, I'm so glad, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to read this. All right. Granted, it's kind of native advertising, native advertising in itself because it's done by the guy who's the head of what vice, <laughs> but this is so right on. You've got to think super long term. And a lot of people ask me, you know, Stanley, where, you know, Brian, where do you get your insights? Where do you, you know, where does this stuff come from folks? It comes from the fact that I think, I don't think in the days, months, weeks, I think, I mean, yeah, you know, I think of how to do things in the short term, you know, to some degree, sure. But largely, I think in the millions of years, and I don't think on a, you know, a a national level or on a state level or anything like that. I think on a galactic level, that's how I, you know, I stand outside and I look in. I think of things on the grand scales. And I think when you do that, you know, you you really, you start, there are just tremendous things uh, that you start to realize and I think there's just tremendous opportunities to be had when you consider long term. You know, I mean, it's, it's really important. That doesn't mean you ignore, you know, immediate needs by any means. You have to pay attention to those. But it's a good idea to think very, very long term. I remember uh, Bon Jovi, you know, he was saying, like, what is his five rules for business? And that's a guy that, boy, he's really done well for himself. And he said the same thing. He said, like, rule number five on his list was you've got to think really, really long term. Uh, and and uh, I, I agree. Uh, so anyway, uh, l- let's finish up the story here. Um, thinking of your audit. Yeah, OK, we got that. Uh, thinking about your 10 year plan. Got that. All right. But before we realign around all those real things, it will be a very bloody it will be very bloody, bloody and violent and depressing. Content makers will die. They'll be bought up. They'll be split apart. Their TV networks will fail. Their partnerships will end. In fact, this is already happening. We'll have to learn a thousand hard lessons, most of them centered around the idea that if you want to make something really great, you can't think about making it great for everyone. You have to make it great for someone, a lot of people, but not every person. 
I tend to be a glass half full, glass half full person. I actually think this is an incredible opportunity for the smart people in media. We can unfuck ourselves. We can build new things. We can start over however we want. At the risk of sounding self-promotional, which all this was, uh, that's what I've been working on for the better part of a year. I'm only interested in making interesting things for interested people. Want to support it, support it or be a part of it? Ping me. I love talking. All right, whatever. Yeah, so bottom line, this a lot of this was native advertising. But ironically, it is all very true, is that, you know, all BuzzFeed, Mashable, TechCrunch, well, TechCrunch isn't so bad, but but so many of these they're just crap. They're full of shit. And it goes beyond that. This kind of this, like I said, this kind of dovetails with what we were talking about earlier. You know, I am tired of watching comic book movies. I am tired of watching comic book TV shows today. They used to be great, like way back when. OK, or maybe the last great ones were like Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. I am so sick of them because they've dumbed the shit down to try and, you know, get everybody into the into the theater. That doesn't work. You can't make something for everybody. Otherwise, because when you make something for everybody, it's actually nothing at that point, at least when it comes to, you know, content. Technology is obviously a little bit of a different story, but when it comes to content, I mean, you know, th that's why there's multiple companies in competition for, for things. You know, I mean, there are people that genuinely love Coke and there are people that genuinely love Pepsi and they do taste vastly different. It's because you can't just make one soda for everyone. Of course, I don't drink soda anymore. I'm a water-only guy from here on out. Woo! But you get my point. This is this is so rock solid uh, to, to bring up and so important. And I so hope that he's right, that what's going to happen is, is that people are now fed up with the bullshit that they get fed on their Facebook feed and that they want something real. They want something intelligent. They don't want... You know, their, their, their speakers or their TV or their monitor to treat them like they're a moron anymore. That's hopeful. So, awesome. I'm not the only one that realized all this. The reviews are in, and Babylon 5's a winner. The New York Daily News says Babylon 5 could make Star Wars look like a walk in the park. The Chicago Sun-Times calls it a welcome addition to the sci-fi universe. Impressive, perfectly scaled for TV, raves the LA Times. And the Kansas City Star says Babylon 5 is one space station you're likely to want to visit frequently. See for yourself what everyone's talking about on Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Excellent Asian Sovereign. Welcome to Unimatrix Zero. Thanks, computer. So, Brian, looks like we have the whole place to ourselves. We do, actually. Did you have something in mind to do? Well, this is virtual reality. I thought maybe we could. Pixel, you look. I love VR. Come here, Brian. for the climax uh where i get to talk about whatever the fuck i want to talk about and uh i 
you know, did this very intentionally with the show. It doesn't have to be science or tech related. It can be, uh, you know, it could be a novel, a comic book, a movie, uh, a TV show, books, whatever. It could be, you know, a topic, could be anything. Um, before I get into what I want to talk about this week, uh, I do want to share a couple of, uh, well, a couple of really great albums that have come out. Actually, throughout April, there have been some amazing albums that have come out. There was the new, um, the new Soto album, Jeff Scott Soto, that came out earlier in the month. That was fucking amazing. Uh, <laughs> as everything he does is, like, if you ever listen to his band, um, Wet, W-E-T, Oh man, uh, the album Rise Up, phenomenal. I mean, just 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 great shit. Uh also, Rob Zombie had his new album uh come out. That was that was pretty solid. I, I thought it was good. But the one that really struck me that came out this month, and, and, and there are others. Uh the, the new Tremonti, I heard that dust. That was that was great. Uh but the album that really struck me was uh 6 a.m. And that's S I X X, uh in a reference, of course, to Nikki Six, who is the the you know the bassist for the band. Um and of, of Motley Crue fame, which, you know, longtime listeners of Sovereign Tech know I'm a huge Motley Crue fan. Uh, got to see them on their final tour, thankfully. Um, but anyway, uh, this album, it's called Prayers for the Damned Volume 1. That's the name of the album. It is so good. Like, it hit me. I mean, it really hit some core stuff in me uh, with some of the songs. Uh, the title track in particular was was really great. Uh, I, I just thought it was a fantastic rocker. Uh, it opens up the song rise that it opens up with is really, you know, good fist pumper, really good stuff. Uh, just an awesome, awesome album. Uh, there's so much people forget about this. There's so much great music that still comes out by either bands or people from, you know, that have been making music for decades. Uh, you, you know, Nikki six being one, uh, Tremonti, of course, you know, was originally with Creed, uh, which I'm, I'm actually, you know, it might shock you. I'm a Creed fan. <laughs> I know they're, they're a quasi Christian band, but good music's good music, folks. <laughs> that, that's, that's just how it is. I mean, Striper, I'm a huge Striper fan. Hell, they had a new album come out last year. They had a couple of them. They had, uh, uh, what was it? Sweet and Lynch that, 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 uh, Michael Sweet did with, uh, with George Lynch of Dokken fame. That was an, that was an awesome album that came out last year too. Uh, so I, you know, Good music's good music, and believe me, I, like I don't like the fact that that Striper is is a heavily Christian band. Like that's kind of their their claim to fame. Uh, but but you know they had an album that wasn't Christian at all. It's called Against the Law. Badass album, badass. <laughs> I mean they they delivered. You know they're dressed in all triple black and everything on it. I mean this is back in the was it maybe ninety two when that came out. Awesome album. Um, and as most most people that toured with Striper will tell you. Not really Christian, <laughs> certainly not backstage. Uh, and I would even argue that, that if anything, um, Striper was perhaps working for the other team. Of course, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in either team, but, uh, but there you go. <laughs> um, all right. So en enough of that, uh, just tons of great music that, that has come out. If you've never heard the new Europe album, holy hell was, was that amazing? Uh, just, just awesome stuff out there. So pl plenty, plenty to, to fill your ears with. If you're not listening to sovereign tech, uh, what I want to talk about this week, I actually want to, you know, and, and this is, 
this is going to be about Star Wars. So if you're not a if you're not a Star Wars fan, well, guess what? You you know you don't have to listen. That's why I put it into the climax. This is where I get to talk about what I want to talk about, baby. And I want to do kind of an update, just an update on you know the 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 state of of Star Wars as it stands. Um, the last time I talked about Star Wars, I think I, I had done the review for The Force Awakens back in December. So it's been a little while, uh, and I want to you know I just I want, I want to talk about how things are going with it. Um, because I have, you know, and I've brought up Star Wars here and there. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. People know that about me. Uh, I've brought it up here and there over Sovereign Tech's history. And I've mentioned that I was a little concerned about the direction that that Star Wars was going in overall uh, with, you know, when Disney took over back in, was it 2013, 2014? Uh, and I, I want to say that my, my concerns were largely unfounded. Um, it's star Wars seems to be, is doing great. But of course, part of that is because Dave Filoni, who was the guy that, that was in charge of the clone wars, the, the clone wars animated series, not, not the original, you know, animated shorts, but the actual series that went, you know, six years. Um, he's just doing a, a stellar job with star Wars rebels. Uh, that's the present animated series that's out there. It is really good. Um, because you know, I was disappointed clone wars was on, you know, I know a lot of people, uh, started watching clone wars and they felt it was, you know, a little too kid friendly, you know, it was a little too kiddish. Uh, believe me when you get into like season two, season three, and especially season four and five, like you start to encounter some of the best star Wars you'll ever see in your life. Uh, it is clone Wars is so good. When the Mandalorians start coming in, Darth Maul comes back. Spoiler alert. Darth Maul's not dead. And you know, that brings me up to another point quick. <laughs> uh, you really, I, I know that, you know, there's the, there's the hatchet or the machete. That's not hatchet. The machete order of watching the star Wars films. People say, oh, yeah, this is how you want to experience Star Wars. Maybe at first, because and the argument is, is what you do is you watch episodes four, five, two, three and six. You don't watch episode one at all because they say episode one is meaningless to the story. If you become an actual like big time Star Wars fan to where you watch everything Star Wars, including the animated shows, which are at, at various points, not kid stuff at all. Um you episode one becomes the single I've said this before on sovereign tech. It becomes the single most important film in the entire saga. If you, you know, if you enjoy, uh, uh, you know, rebels and clone wars because Darth, otherwise you don't know about Darth Maul and Darth Maul is, is a major point, uh, in these, in these shows. So, you know, I'm, and I might be laying out some spoilers here for what's going on. Um, but star Wars rebels is great. They did a, a two season. I mean, season two is what they just ended recently. Uh, the two parter season finale was incredible. They go to, uh, Mantic or is it Manticore? Yeah. <laughs> or no, no, not Manticore. Malachor. Manticore is from James Cameron's Dark Angel. Sorry. <laughs> Talk about a great show that only went two seasons. Fortunately, Rebels is going to get a third season. Uh, but anyway, but they go to Malachor and they encounter Darth Maul. And there's these awesome, you, you have the, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the Inquisitors, which is these, you know, kind of like force users that work for the Empire. Uh, and, and they did this really cool thing because they have these double bladed lightsabers that are on a circular uh, hilt handle that can spin. 
you know, double bladed like Darth Maul had. And in this episode, suddenly like they could use them as almost like hel- mini helicopters and they could like fly away with them. And I thought that was awesome. Uh, but there was the encounter with Ahsoka Tano with her old master, which again, if you don't watch the Clone Wars, this doesn't have any meaning to you. Like I said, all of this is important Star Wars. You got to see it all. Uh, you know, when she takes on Darth Vader and finds out that it's officially finds out that it's Anakin. Oh man. <laughs> was, was that, was that some heart wrenching stuff? Um, now I will say, okay. I, so rebels is doing great. There's and I, I only skimmed it. Um, and I want to talk more about some of the things in rebels, but I, but I want to side sidetrack real quick. The comic books have been, they've been touch and go like, you know, it's kind of been like in every other issue is pretty good. Uh, the Lando comic books were great. That was definitely the best series they've done so far. Uh, that, that was phenomenal. Like when you get to see the Sith artifacts and, and all of this and, and the scimitar gets involved and everything, uh, that was really cool. Um, but otherwise the comics, they're, they're not leaving me with anything lasting. Now they did start a Poe Dameron, uh, comic book. Shattered empire was, was pretty good. Um, uh, but the, the, yeah, so they did start a Poe Dameron comic book. I'm hoping that this is going to be really good. They're definitely putting a lot behind it. Um, but I'll admit the comic books have been a little, little lackluster here and there. Um, uh, but overall not bad. I mean, the Darth Vader comic has, has been all right. The star Wars comic has been all right. They just, they fucked it up. They did that stupid storyline with Sana Solo, who didn't end up being Sana Solo at all. Uh, it, that lasted way too many issues where she was saying she was Han's wife and all this. I mean, that was just insane. There was no reason to do that. It was it was such a dumb plot line. Uh, so those have been a, a little odd. At first, they were really strong. At first, every Star Wars comic had been really strong, and they were kind of interrelated. Uh, but when you get into, you know, once you start to get into the higher single-digit issues, it started to get you know, a little rough. Um, so haven't been totally pleased with the comic books. The books themselves... Uh, I think some great books are going to be coming out. There's going to be an Ahsoka Tano book. I can't wait for that. Um, my favorite so far is so far. My favorites so far have been Lost Stars and probably uh, Dark Disciple, which is all about Asajj Ventress. Of course, if you never watched Clone Wars, you don't know who Asajj Ventress is and you don't get to experience such a great novel, which was originally supposed to be a Clone Wars storyline. Uh yeah, I mean, so the books have been touch and go, but there's been enough of them to where I, I think they justify their their existence. Uh, Tarkin was was a really good uh, novel. In fact, in Tarkin, this kind of gets to where I want to go. So I'm glad I brought this up. The Tarkin novel makes mention of the fact that on Coruscant, and this is all stuff you, you're never going to, or at least largely you won't, maybe in episode eight, I don't know, but you, you don't get in the movies. Um and this was originally a Clone Wars uh, plot, too, that, that this was a fact. Um, in, in Tarkin, they mention that the Jedi Temple on Coruscant is actually built on top of an old Sith Temple. And that the energies from that Sith Temple were leaking and never kind of never stopped leaking. And you sort of get you get hints of this in the clone, the last season or the fifth season, I think. Or maybe it was the fourth. I think it was the fifth season of Clone Wars where a, a Jedi, kind of a Jedi initiate of sorts, uh, goes rogue and she says, you know, the Jedi are being consumed by the dark side right now. They are acting on the dark side. Now, what's interesting here is, and this is so wild, you know, I've always been, I, I've talked about on Sovereign Tech, like my theory that that Star Wars actually teaches you that the dark side is the only way to get anything done. Because the only time that a Sith Lord gets beat is generally when somebody gets angry, a.k.a. uses the dark side, right? 
It, I mean, this this is this is largely true across the board. In fact, it's still kind of true with the Ray versus Kylo Ren battle. When you read the script, you find out it it says that she was accessing the dark side, uh, kind of when she started cutting them up a bit. Um, so, anyway, um, and I talked about that on, on Sovereign Tech before. So there's an episode of Rebels. Okay, you know, and I've always been a fan of the dark side, but you know, I'm starting to dig the Jedi because there was an episode of Rebels where they go to a temple uh, on Lothal. Where they uh, where where uh, Kanan and Ezra, well, Ezra in particular, has a meeting with Yoda and Yoda says like there's, you know, Ezra's trying to say it's like, Yoda, how do we do what do we do? You know, the rebellion starting up. How do we you know, how do we defeat the Empire and all this? How do we fight them and all this stuff? And Yoda says fight. You know, he kind of he makes this argument. He makes it very plain. Yoda makes it super plain that the Jedi fighting in the Clone Wars were the Jedi being, you know, seduced or being used by the dark side, that it was wrong of them to fight that war. And so that's amazing because effectively that makes that that changes Star Wars history so much because that makes it so that the um, that, you know, the Jedi in the Clone Wars in the, you know, like in episode two and three and the Jedi in the Clone Wars, you know, TV show were evil. And damn right they were. They're fighting a war. And and Yoda comes right out and says it, that they, they shouldn't be fighting a war. Now, I think some people feel like a lot of people got really mad over this line because there was a lot of talk about this line um, that Yoda, you know, put out there that that the Jedi. It sounds like he's more or less saying the Jedi should, you know, be totally outside of the political system, should be outside of these wars. They shouldn't be getting involved in any of that shit. And fucking right on. <laughs> OK, I, I agree with that assessment. Um but, you know, a lot of people were, were saying, you know, this is a, a shift in the narrative. This isn't how things should have been. But it actually makes a lot of sense when you listen to uh, Yoda's training of Luke in The Empire Strikes Back. Like when he says, you know, I'm looking for a great warrior and Yoda says wars don't make one great. Like, it, it's really I think it's sticking to the message. I think it's sticking to a truer message, maybe than George Lucas even realized he was putting out there. Of course, granted. You know, that's a long story with me that I won't get into. I don't think George Lucas, you know, did did the bulk of the writing for Star Wars. I think there was somebody else. Uh, so good on Filoni, on Dave Filoni for getting that out there in Rebels. Uh, I am far more sympathetic, you know, to kind of the Jedi message. Um, oh, of course, I love the idea of gray Jedis, too, kind of like Ahsoka Tano, which you see that. Man, her double blade or, you know, her her dual wield uh, lightsaber and with the white blades that I love that. That's awesome. Um you know, but but the Jedi definitely feel far more sympathetic to them for, you know, for that kind of introspection to realize we should have never fought in a war. We totally gave into the dark side, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, let's have let's have that that awesome, peaceful anti-war kind of message come out in Star Wars. Uh, that's great. Which you kind of got some of those lines in the Clone Wars. If you remember uh, Padme Amidala, senator at the time, you know, there was in the, in the first season, she makes that great line where she says, you cannot solve all your problems by throwing troops at it. And I'm just like, damn, yeah, I know this is Star Wars, but then let's get the anti-war message out in Star Wars. So bottom line, I am really hopeful about and, and I saw the Rogue One trailer. That looks amazing. I am really hopeful about the direction Star Wars is going in. I am. I don't like Disney at all. They are a heinous company, uh, but I love the direction that they're taking all of this in. They've kept the right people there, particularly Dave Filoni and like Claudia Gray that she's got a new book, Bloodlines, coming out. It's all about Princess Leia. I can't wait for that. Uh, but but to tie in to keep Clone Wars and all that, they just that's been making Star Wars great. It's the stuff outside of the movies that's really keeping it on par. Uh, so really happy about that. Anyway, 
That's enough for this week, folks. <laughs> uh, please donate to the show or check out wishlist.zog.ninja if you love what I do. Thank you so much. Carpe Lupem. Woo! I'll see you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love. And love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution. Thank you.